Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Hey everybody, welcome into episode 106 of the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, where today my guest is Don Schminka. Who's Don Schminka, you might ask? Well, let me tell you this. Don is the author of the best-selling book, The Code of Executive. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal and in USA Today. He's an award-winning speaker, researcher, and he is the founder of the Saga Leadership Institute. As well, Don has been speaking in the leadership space for a long time, delivering well over 1,700 speeches. And I'll tell you this, Don has a brand new book titled Winners and Losers, Entrepreneurial Lessons from 30,000 CEOs on How to Come Out on Top. And folks, it's a fantastic book. I am absolutely loving it. It is real. It is raw. And it is applicable. You want to make sure you check that thing out. It's linked in the show notes. Don and I sat down recently. We had a fantastic conversation about all things leadership, including an area where he talks about not blaming our tools. You won't want to miss that. You're going to hear it all right on the other side of this. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. All right, today on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, we're sitting down with leadership expert Don Schminka. And what I'm excited about in this particular conversation is he and I are just going to dive into some of the questions, some of the struggles, some of the challenges that often we face as either mid-level managers or even um, C-level suite um, executives, district-level executives for uh, for my audience in the educational space. And we're just going to cut it up for about a half hour talking about those challenges and maybe come away with one or two leadership gold nuggets that, that we can find. Don, welcome into the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really quick before we dive into everything I just said, um, you definitely have a rich background in leadership. And for those in my audience who maybe don't know you as well as they should or, or have not heard heard your name yet, tell them a little bit about you, kind of what, um, what compelled you to be focused um, so deeply in leadership and then maybe some of the stuff you're up to right now. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I never expected to be doing what I'm doing now. I, I was... I was a planetary. I was studying planetary physics at MIT, and I began doing a lot of different um, research projects around I don't know some space guidance stuff to uh, automating the Harvard MIT Biomedical Laboratory. And in that process, I started getting familiar with humans, and um, uh, they became my favorite species to study. <laughs> that's, that's what took me to Hopkins. Yeah. I did my my graduate work at Johns Hopkins, and then. Um, uh, I started uh, getting fascinated with human grouping behaviors and I did my, um, I started teaching there. And so that got me attached to the uh, executive MBA program. So I began talking to leaders that were learning, uh, you know, going for their masters. But 
there were a lot of executives and middle managers that were complaining about management theory failure rates. And since my background had been in science, we began to see if some of the high failure rates of management theory were related to our biology, related to our species. And so I was really fortunate to um, have some great, brilliant people around me. And I started uh, working with anthropologists and uh, you know, archaeologists and um, people that knew what they were doing in this area. And I started seeing some really interesting patterns. So Oxford University gave me permission to use an ancient manuscript they had for training managers 700 years ago. And it was a samurai document. So I published that. And then it became a bestseller. Next thing I know, I'm on CNN, I'm in the press, and I didn't know what just happened. But I started getting asked to speak on this work. And um, that's what I've been doing ever since. So I've trained, um, they told me the other day, I've trained like 30,000 CEOs. I'm like, what? They said, yeah, you've done about 2,000 speeches on this to various associations and CEO networks. And I thought, well, I guess the numbers do add up. I'm getting old, so I didn't just start, so I've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Um, but it's been great because I've learned a lot from um, a lot of the CEOs I've, I've spoken with. We've, uh, we have hundreds of clients that came out of it where we implement everything that we're talking about. So it's that's how I got here. It was totally um, uh, unpredicted uh, journey, and I'm loving it. We're still learning more. Um, we, we're still researching, making mistakes, testing this, testing that. And um, recently, I'm, I'm connecting now, uh, partnering, up, partnering up with the Pacific Institute. And that's where Lou Tice started this 50 years ago. And we've had really parallel research uh, endeavors. But he's the guy that started the word mindset and, you know, blind spot and all those things. That all happened half a century ago. You know, find your why. Uh, so it's been great working with them. So I, I'm just really blessed to have a lot of great, brilliant people around me. And I'm going to continue uh, just uh, learning more about our species and how we lead. <laughs> I think that's fascinating. And I so so my undergraduate work, um, I, my of course, my career was all in, in public education. Uh, but uh, as a classroom teacher, I spent 11 years as a science teacher and specifically um, when I taught at the high school level, I taught uh, biology and I taught anatomy and physiology, human anatomy and physiology. So when I hear you talk a little bit about um, kind of the the management theory failures and how they're connected to our species, I, I'm compelled to ask, and I'm sure there are others in the audience who, if I didn't ask this question, would be angry with me. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about that. What, what um, without without turning it into, I mean, I'm sure we probably talk about this for hours and we don't want to necessarily turn it into a full lecture, but talk just a little bit about how that connection with, with our own DNA, our own um, biological tendencies and that management theory failure, what's the correlation? Well, there's a lot of uh, different things that we found uh, that explained it. For instance, you know, we, we published 35,000 books a year on, on management and leadership. And the failure rates are like 90% when you look at the scholarly data. Uh, I don't know why we're not talking about that. I think that's important. <laughs> but when we looked at it, it was that I think we have our tendency for safety, as most species do have a tendency for safety. We use analysis to understand the world so we can control it and develop tools to help us do that. So it's our tool orientation in terms of our, our instinct to develop tools so that we can have a level of 
control and safety in the world is important and tools are great. The problem is we found that there's sometimes we get too seduced to the tools. Uh, when I was doing the book, uh, High Altitude Leadership with Chris Warner, I met him climbing in the Andes. We decided to do a book uh, as he went off to the NBC special to do the NBC special on K2, summoning K2, the most dangerous mountain in the world. And he's pulled a lot of dead bodies off of mountains. And we started looking at the data and a lot of them are clutching their tools. So a lot of frozen climbers are clutching their tools. And he said a lot of them died, died needlessly. But the thing is, is that I said, geez, a lot of companies clutch their tools too. You know, a lot of dead companies are clutching their best-selling books and their best-selling programs and the best, all the stuff that we're, that we see as uh, leadership, good leadership tools. Why are they dying? And we think it's seduction. So that was one area. Tool seduction, I think, kills companies, it kills departments, it kills careers. And um, what's missing is that the tools are great, but leadership is about altering human decision. And when I, and I ask CEO groups, you know, what are the top issues you're, you're dealing with today? It's, they all seem to come up with the same patterns of, of challenges with people, you know, and, and accountability and performance and results. And, and I, I go through thousands of years. I'm like, you're saying the same thing we've been saying for thousands of years. Like, what is happening? And it, it turns out that we don't teach how to alter human decision. So the tools are great, but a lot of these issues aren't from lack of tools. A lot of management problems are because humans aren't behaving, aren't, aren't deciding in, in the ways we want them to. And uh, that led us to understand, to excavate a little bit more, like why, no, why not? And it all comes down to like the one class we don't teach in any of our institutions and it's how do you alter human belief and we found that that was the consistent pattern throughout history that the great leaders could alter and align the beliefs of humans which then of course aligned their decisions and then they could use the tools and they survived so i think uh, one element was tool seduction that was uh, killing organizations and we lost the capacity, I think, to teach leadership at the level I described. So uh, to me, that's that's like the crux of leadership right there. Um, uh, the mm. Clutching the tools um, it, to me is just, I mean, kind of, it's definitely a mind-altering uh, thought process. And just, just listening to you talk about that and being familiar with, uh, with your book, High Altitude Leadership, um, definitely... That's a strong piece, but but what I want to go back to is just simply um, altering human decisions by altering human belief. And I think when when we really get into and, and examine the truly great leaders, it's it's that ability to not only create that that compelling vision, that compelling alternate reality, that future reality, but getting people to see that for themselves and to take that ownership and to take that, you know, my portion of this to get us to this, to this belief, to this, this potential outcome has to change who they are at their core. And so when, when I hear you talk about altering human belief, that to me 
is really what it what it gets to. It's not. I mean, it's definitely cutting the anchor on the oh, we've always done it this way. But it but to me, it's so much more than than that. I know a lot of leaders get stuck in this, and maybe this transitions us into the what are leaders stuck with right now. But so often, leaders get stuck with the human dynamics, uh, the the challenges around change. Um, when when we talk about changing organizations. It isn't just as simple as, oh, here's a new initiative. Here's a new way we're going to do things. I'll tell you once, I'll teach you a couple of times, and then I expect you to just go do it. I mean, it's definitely changing that that human behavior and changing the belief set. What are some things that that leaders who have struggled with this and leaders who have been successful with this, what, what are some of the differences there? What is What's like maybe... One of those one or two things that leaders need to be really aware of and conscious of as they're leading that change process. Well, I think, um, I guess, conscious of uh, throwing tools at a problem doesn't make the problem go away. You know, um, somebody told me once a fool with a tool is still a fool. So, um yeah, sure, sure. I mean, we think we'll give it the speech, hang the poster up, send out the email, and everything is going to be fixed. Nope, not going to happen. Right. In uh, education, it's we'll buy a shirt. We'll buy a T-shirt and we'll put the phrase on it. Yeah, that doesn't solve it. Right. Uh, so I, I started looking at tribes. One of my expeditions uh, was in North Africa, and uh, I visited a um, they argue, is it an 8,000 or 10,000-year-old tribe? I think that's splitting hairs. But this uh, this organization has been around for thousands of years. And uh, I started looking at tribal communities. And one of the things we miss when we're trying to do change is we're not, we're not stimulating the beliefs that are um, that occur from altering our tribal environments. And by that, we don't, we're not teaching our leaders in our organizations how do you alter symbols, how do you alter rituals, how do you alter magic? And those are the things that tend to align. Uh, when we've gone into um, resurrect or, or rescue a failed change program, uh, it were elements like this we always find that we're missing. And so, you know, I think leaders today, if we start looking at ourselves and start incorporating what has been working for us for thousands of years, we'll start getting more success. And so a lot of times I think it's... Um, it's that. And like I have a book coming out in, uh, in October next month. Oh, geez, it's getting close uh, um, on uh, for entrepreneurs. But people are saying, well, this is more than just for entrepreneurs. This could be used in management. And part of what I was doing in the book was unhawking myths, taking management myths and debunking them with data and evidence. And so as we started getting into this, um, it was like, well, we think people follow us, but they're not following us. You know, they're following the story we represent. Um, we think our plans will work. Plans never work. We, we worked with um, Black Hawk Down, Matt Eversman, learned a lot about about planning and what happens, what goes wrong. Right. You know, we started um, dispelling myths about happy employees, about perseverance, about being the lead dog, uh, and about human potential. So, uh, so we were saying, wow, this is, can be applied anywhere. But the whole point is what we're doing is we're replacing the myths with, with evidence that are, there are more powerful ways of leading than, um, 
and the best-selling management theories with a high failure rate. And uh, that's what I like doing. I like teaching. I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm a learner and a teacher, and I'm insatiable. I mean, I'll do these expeditions around the world, do some filming and interviewing, and try to find something. And it all doesn't work. I mean, you know, maybe 80% isn't useful, but it's that 20%. It really becomes powerful. And uh, by applying it in companies, um, you know, it's, it's risky, right? I mean, I'm at there with CEOs making this stuff happen. But when they see the performance go up tremendously, then we know, we know we're on something. And um, we just finished an oil, oil services firm recently, and uh, they've seen everything. And I said, this is the best money we ever spent. But that, to me, that's um, validation of the research. You know what I mean? When somebody can say, hey, this works, it's replicable, it, it, it makes sense. So I think that's a journey for leaders today is, is what do we have to unlearn and what are the things that we've forgotten about that has made our species great? As I, as I listen to you talk and, and we, you know, I unpack a little bit more about, about change theory, one of the pieces, and this will lead me into another question and, and an area that I know um, educational leaders struggle with and are struggling with right now. I hear about it a lot. Um, one of the pieces that that you kind of touched on there that I want to I want to try and take you a little bit deeper on is when we are working to affect change, um, especially when new leaders come into an organization. Um, we hear it often. We hear it in education. We hear it in the business world. I, I, I'm going to use I'm going to use athletics, uh, professional sports, as a great example. You hire mm-hmm. a new coach, and what do you hear? Oh, we're going to change the culture of our organization. We're going to change the culture of our organization. And leaders, I think, across the board buy into this. And, and certainly culture and climate is one of, one of my big strength areas. And I think sometimes as leaders, we'll misstep when it comes to the, the, the implementation or the changing of culture. Um, and, and often we change culture in the wrong direction when, when somebody, you know, new comes into the role, what advice would you have for leaders specific in that culture space where I'm new into the space where, you know, I'm, maybe I'm in a school, maybe I'm in an organization, maybe I'm an entrepreneur who, who maybe scaled a little too fast and, and now I need to make some changes, what are some suggestions around organizational culture, maybe some first steps or maybe some avoid these missteps or myths that could lead to failure? Well, generally when I have someone approaching me on that or we get involved in certain uh, organizations to do this, it really is more of a strategic question. And I think the question we're missing first is uh, what's our strategy? For this organization and and that really digs down into you know what does winning really mean and how do we do it you know we have all these interesting strategic analytical models but at the end of the day for this organization what does winning mean and really dig down into what that means because how you're going to do it can take many many different things you know how you know who are, we usually use uh, military terms because of the ancient documentation that's so readily available but you know, it's like, where, where, where's the battlefield tomorrow? Who's our enemy? And, and is it really the enemy or is that an illusion? Um, but how do we win? How do we outmaneuver? How do we become great? Is one of the epic, uh, I guess, consistent uh, patterns throughout human history. So once you understand what winning means, then it's easier to say, what culture do we need to support that strategy? 
And a lot of times I hear people want to change culture and I say, why? And they can't answer the question. Right. <laughs> it's like, like well, how does it contribute to, to you winning? And it's like, oh, oh, we never, you never thought about that. So I would say back up, start with winning, then move into the culture you need to make winning happen. And, um, and then once you do that, realize it's not about, it's not about the tools. It's not about the, the, the posters or the shirts or the, you know, the speeches you give. It's, it's all about like what symbols need to be destroyed. You know, what symbols need to be created, what, what rituals need to be thwarted, um, what new ones. Uh, have to happen magic you know what, what are the what are the mythologies you know what are the stories uh, that people are talking about you know so because culture is really the shared beliefs of more than one person so your job is changing culture is changing the beliefs of humans and in the high failure rate of culture change of which there's if you, if you go on Google Scholar you'll see millions of papers on this is that I, we're missing we're missing the point we throw that if we just throw new new tools at it it fixes everything that never happens what you create is cynicism and sarcasm and a lot of people just rolling their eyes waiting for this new this new fangled thing to pass you this know this too and, shall pass right, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. uh, so um you know, when I look at these organizational change failures, and, um, and like I said, there's there's ten to twenty percent that are successful, but the rest are gross failures. All fighting our employees who are just like they can't wait for their boss to read a new book. Yep, it's like here we go, yeah. another new yeah. book, another consultant coming in, another training. But at the end of the day, let's stop. You know, what's the strategy right. for winning and what do you need? Because people like to win. And when they see what you're doing, contribute to that, then they get on board. Absolutely. I love that. So so you're talking about employees here, and that takes me to the next area that I know a lot of leaders are struggling with. And this is not exclusive in the education space. It's very true in the business space and the nonprofit space. Um, obviously, in the last two, three years, we've seen this incredible change, this incredible migration, if you will, of of today's worker and and just how today's worker chooses chooses to to make their living. Um, you know, the the great resignation, if you want, if you want to use that language, um, it's led to employee shortages in so many different areas and in the education space, because so many of my listeners are in that space, that's where I'll focus here. Um, we faced a teacher shortage for quite some time. We faced a bit of a leadership shortage, but now here in the last couple of years, the vacuum, if you will, that has been created of upper level, um, district, district level leaders who maybe have retired or who have just, moved on and said, okay, that's enough of that. I'm going to go do something else, has pulled so many leaders into new spaces, creating a vacuum under them and so forth. The big leadership challenge is how do you have, how do you recruit quality talent? How do you keep quality talent? And how do you, how do you patch the boat in the meantime to keep it from sinking because of this 
this limited pool of resources, human capital, to to move forward? What might be some advice or some successful things that that are happening in the space you see that leaders could lean into to find their way through this particular challenge? Yeah, every industry I and I, I see hundreds of different industries every year um, struggle with the talent thing. And um, well, we started doing an experiment. We started um, looking at uh, speed because we're teaching leadership all wrong. I think we're, you know, we're thinking about well, how to be a great leader, what style of leader should you be? This level of leader should be that level of leader. And we thought, you know, we saw so many autopsies of dead companies with all the great leadership styles, we thought, I don't think it's about leadership style. I think it's about execution. I think it's about speed because as you adapt your strategy and you have to course correct and, you know, the faster, the faster companies can adapt, you know, in a way which allows them to achieve higher levels. So we should be teaching about how to adapt. And so when you look at leaders, it's, it's like, wait a minute, what's sucking our speed out? So I do a little test and I say, um, okay, um, I have them write down earlier in the workshop, like what's great leadership look like, but then what are all those behaviors we keep running into? And it's like the standard list, right? Politics, egos, selfishness, backbiting, CYA. I mean, you go on and on. I get like 30 of these things. And later on I say, okay, how much time is wasted in these behaviors? And I want to find out, it's, it's like, ha, have you ever had a meet, have you ever had a 15 minute meeting take an hour? And like all their hands go, it's a 75% waste of time, 75%. And so start adding up all your meetings. How many of them are wasted? Start adding up how much time is spent in gossip and complaining. And, you know, you know, it's, so I go through all these behaviors and I have them anonymously write down what percentage of time is lost. And I get a range from like 20% loss to 80% loss, but it's always around 50%. You know, within 15%, there's a 50% average, which really opens us up to an entirely new way of looking at leadership that we haven't pursued in this area of, of acquiring and keeping talent. And that is, you could double the size of your organization for free. Just put the other half back to work. Get rid of all that dysfunctional behavior and you will have twice as many people. So the, the epiphany that I see in these audiences is like, oh my God, you know, all this time waste is people waste. Like what if we didn't have politics? What if we had bravery? What if we had honor? What if we had people willing to suffer and sacrifice together for the great cause? Uh, this is what's brought organizations together for history. And when we've done this in companies, within four to six months, now there's a lot of techniques here. I wish we had more time. Uh, within four to six months of applying these techniques, we've been able to reduce that waste by half. So if they were like at 60%, then four to six months later, they're at 30% by their own evaluation. And then four to six months later, they're 15%. So you asymptotically can regain people. And productivity. I can't tell you how many times we'd hear in a meeting, wow, that took us five minutes to make that decision. That would have taken us five weeks. And that's speed. So I think that's what we should be doing. What is strategy? What culture do you need to support it? And get rid of the human waste 
the time waste that you have, and you'll have more than enough people around you. Let me let me take that just a little bit deeper to just to just push a little bit harder. Um, who owns that? Who owns that elimination of all that waste? And how? I know who it is, but I want you to talk about it. And then, how does that individual, that group of individuals, get focused on that and stay focused on that? Well, it's, it all starts with the top. You know, it all starts with the top. Um, so the top executive leadership, if they're not aligned, if they're not bought in, if they don't see that this is a problem uh, that we have to fix and then incorporate those leadership methods um, that we're talking about here, then nothing's going to change. You know, and I've and, and the problem is I've been in the organizations where somebody said the right words because they wanted to look good or show that they're, you know, they're smart. And at the end of the day, it doesn't work. People see through people see through all that. I, I think it has to be an authentic look at, hey, here's where we are. Here's where we're going. Here's the gap. And in filling that gap, we have to make some changes. And then using these techniques, people realize like, now not everybody makes it. I'm not saying that you may not lose 10 or 20% of people who aren't willing to be brave enough, you know, who are, who are not going to be able to have the honor necessary because they're too caught up in any number of excuses or reasons. But the bulk of people that are there, they want to be great. They want to, they want to win because that's what makes happy employees winning. And they want to be caught, be part of a team that can operate like that. So that's what you do. You've seen that work multiple times. It's, we're just trying to teach it and get more people to start doing yeah. it. So this will be a bit of a loaded question because this is what you do all the time. But uh, the last question that I have for you, it's actually my next to last. I'll have another one after this. But uh, a question I ask everybody here on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, I'm going to ask you as well. Don, what right now are you doing to lean into leadership? To continue to uh, (laughs) – the samurai taught me about death. Now, death is freedom. And so people think, well, isn't that morbid? It's like, well – Eventually, it'll be the ultimate death. But how many things do I have to let die that are holding me back from tomorrow? So that's what I try to do. I, I, I've gotten older. and I say, you know, in fact, this new book coming in is that, you know, we need, need to teach failure more. We need to teach how to lose powerfully. That's how great entrepreneurs, I think, and great leaders emerge, is they know how to lose powerfully. And so for me, I I say, geez, I have so many more mistakes to make and so little time left. (laughs) And and that's what I'm doing. And right now, I've just got some great people around me. I mean, I I run into these terrific people. I mean, the, the Pacific Institute, we've got some great programs we're formulating and a new book coming out. Um, so I think if we all just seek people to be around us who are greater, uh, we can lift each other up. Outstanding. I love that. I love that. That's not an answer I was expecting to hear, but it is absolutely powerful. Um, wonderful stuff. So, uh, you've alluded to it. So this was going to be my last piece and I'll, I'll just put these two things together. Uh, the new book, uh, will be coming out, uh, talk to us about a title. I'll make sure we link this in the show notes. When this show goes live, the book will already be out. Um, so, uh, title of the book. And then also how do people get in touch with you when, because they will want to get in touch with you. How do they find you? Oh, sure. Um, 
with a book coming out, it's called Winners and Losers. And um, that was a topic. And like I said, it's, it's for entrepreneurs, but people are telling me, no, it's for a lot more than just entrepreneurs. And if, uh, if we get a lot of traction with it, then we'll probably maybe do a series, you know, you know, maybe winners and losers for CEOs or for supervisors or for salespeople or whatever. But let's see, it's, it's a good it's a good test. And um, it's my latest book. So we'll see that. We'll see what happens. The, the website that we're focusing on is Saga Leadership. We, we ripped it off from the Vikings, S-A-G-A, the Saga, sagaleadership.com. And uh, we're trying to put everything in there. So if there are managers that want to do a program or CEO that wants to look at what this looks like in their company, uh, I'm trying to put enough there. Starting a blog. Actually, it's kind of cool. We're starting a blog where I'm putting in management myth busters. So I'm taking these these myths that everybody's thinking, oh, this is a great new idea. And I'm like, not quite. And so I actually uh, go into the research and the science. I say, that's not what they, what they said. This is what they said. And I do it kind of in a fun way. I'd like to teach with some humor and, you know, a good sprinkle of sarcasm here and there. So, uh, yeah, so that could be entertaining. <laughs> That's outstanding stuff. Uh, I'll make sure we'll we'll link a whole bunch of stuff in the show notes so everybody can get access to everything that you've talked about during the course of of this particular episode. Don Schmika, thank you so much for joining me here on Leaning Into yep. Leadership. Thank you. Man, how brilliant was that conversation? I mean, seriously, like go back to Go back to the point where Don is talking about just how much time we waste through dysfunction. And if we could simply eliminate the dysfunction, how much more work we would get accomplished, how much more efficient we would be as organizations. That piece all by itself was worth the entire podcast. Ah, thank you so much, Don Schmika, for being on the show. I absolutely loved that conversation. I'm so grateful that every one of you had the opportunity to listen to it. And now it's time for a pep talk. Interestingly, the topic I have for the pep talk goes right back to what Don was talking about with wasting time. You know, I had a conversation with a couple of different leaders about a week ago, and there was a common theme around the time that they spend getting interrupted, trying to get things accomplished, you know, they're they're starting to realize that they have things they want to accomplish, things that need to get done, and the open-door policy is getting in the way. Now, we had an episode with Dr. Luke Croy a while back where Luke talked about the open-door policy is not necessarily the best policy because sometimes the door has to be closed. But my conversation with these individuals led to, man, a a TikTok video, a pep talk, um, a blog post, all directly related to eliminating the time bandits. How many times do we allow people to steal our time? And it happens simply because we will not guard our most precious resource, our time. Yes, we're leaders. Yes, it is a people business. I know that. I say it all the time. But folks, you still got to get stuff done. And in a world where you have to get stuff done, you've got to get clear on your priorities. Actually, Gary Keller in The One Thing would tell you that priority really means only one thing. 
You can't have multiple priorities. It's what is the one thing that you'll do prior to doing something else. But I digress. You've got to be clear on your priorities. And you've got to be clear on what are you willing to allow people to interrupt you for. If you allow people to interrupt you for virtually everything, then you have no priorities. You're waiting for a crisis. And other people's crisis does not have to be yours. So here's what I want you to do. This is your challenge this week. I want you to audit your calendar. I want you to go back a week or a month, probably no further than that. And then I want you to list every single thing, every single person. No holds barred here, folks. You don't have to share it with anybody. But I want you to go back and audit that calendar and write down every single thing and every single person that you allowed to interrupt you or to keep you from something you had on your calendar. Then I want you to go right back into that list and I want you to start drawing a line through everything that does not meet or align with those things that you hold important, those things that must get done, those top two or three priorities. See, you've got to figure out what is it that you are willing to put your foot down and say, hey, I got to guard my time here. I've got to take care of my time so I can get work done. That's your challenge this week, folks. Audit that calendar. Be willing to take a look and decide what you will and will not allow to interrupt you going forward. It's your time, folks. You've got to take ownership of it. Thank you so much for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, for sitting down with me every week. I appreciate it so much more than you know. Thank you for the reviews that you leave. Thank you for all the feedback. I appreciate you. Now get out there. Have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.